many things and praying about within this message and um, I guess it really began two weeks ago when we ended a, a, the message of, of before where it said to sanctify yourself because God's getting ready to do miracles among you. And when, when, he's crossing the, when he was crossing the Jordan, taking the Israelites into the promised land, and that was, uh, I think it was entitled, Are You Ready to Cross? Uh, something like that. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember everything myself, <laughs> what I named it right now. Uh, but Are You Ready to Cross? Where at the end it says, sanctify yourself, set yourselves apart, because God's getting ready to do miracles in your life. And that's kind of where I started thinking about uh, things and praying, and God led me uh, kind of in, in this way for this message. And what, what's scary for me right now is, you know, uh, again, I don't remember if it was exactly this year or toward the end of last year when God had spoke uh, to me in our prayer meeting that there was going to be a great awakening. And that's what he spoke first was the awakening. And I got excited with that. But then right before that, he said, there's going to be a shaking before the awakening. And I, I, I'm saying not just for this church, but I think for America in general. is you know, that America has fallen asleep, that America has taken God for granted for too long, that America has got pride built up in her and we're such a successful nation and different things that, you know, know as bad as when you don't remember history, you tend to repeat it. And that's where America's gone. And it, you know, most generation has grown up after World War II, and it, everything has been good. And they don't realize how it used to be. And so many times what happens is, again, you, you look around the world and all the countries that Christianity's banned, that you could be killed to forego the church and all these things. Do you realize that the devil's not winning there? That actually Christian, Christianity around the world is growing? But in the United States where it's free and costs you nothing, where you don't have to worry about going to church and serving God, it's on a decline. Think about that. That people will leave their home and attend church to worship others, knowing that any time during that service that door may open in the back and all of them are going to jail for doing that yet they still go. But in America, where it's available to everyone, we become sleepy. We become take it for granted. The freedoms that we have, I pray that we get to keep these freedoms. But if America doesn't wake up, you know, and I think that's part of this message is America needs to wake up. Because God wants to do a new thing and a mighty thing in, in our lives. So let's just... Look at, at our scriptures uh, again. I want to apologize. The font, don't worry, your eyes did not get worse from last week to this week. <laughs> the font is way smaller. I just didn't want to leave out any of these scriptures off your paper, so I tried to put them as, as uh, where they would fit. That's the, the biggest I could put them for it all to fit. Because I want you, in case you didn't bring your Bible, bring your Bibles to church and, you know, read along there. But if, if you didn't have your Bible, I want you to see these things. And in the very beginning, I just put the references from last week. And I just want to go over our core text of last week, and then uh, we'll get into where we're at today. So again, John the Baptist came, what, the first time before Jesus uh, was born. He came as an alarm. 
to call out, to repent that the kingdom of heaven is near, that Christ was coming. It was to wake people up. And that's, that's what an alarm does. It wakes people up. It's a, and how do most alarms work? It's a vibrating thing. It, it shakes. It, it makes noise. And it, 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 it's not always a good sound. I mentioned that last week. Uh, you know, I've tried many alarms on my phone, you know, listen to, oh, that sounds pleasant. But in the next morning at 4 or 5 when it goes off, what was sounded pleasant yesterday, when it becomes an alarm, it's not so pleasant. You know, you, uh, that one of the most irritating sounds you ever could have in your life is an alarm. And uh, so what we need to understand is that John the Baptist came to uh, awaken everyone that Christ was coming so they believe. And I believe God's doing a shaking in this world and in this country that he's trying to wake people up and make aware that he's coming back soon, okay? And so let, let's look at a few things. This is... Uh, because of the core, and I do have time, so I'll go, go through this. He says this in John chapter 3, verse 26 through 30. I just got the reference on your page uh, today, but it'll be up on the screen. It says this, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man that, uh, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who testified about you, he says, well, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. And this was John the Baptist's disciples that were following him and going around and they were baptizing people. But Jesus had came and John the Baptist says, behold, the son of God. And do you see, and I mentioned this last week, do you see what happened with, 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 with John's disciples? He said, uh, let, let me get back to my paper where I can see. Verse uh, 27, John said, replied, a man can only receive what was given to him from heaven. John says, an assignment was given to me from heaven, and that's what I'm responsible for. But he says, the Christ has now come, and he must increase, and I must decrease. But we, John's disciples were actually a little jealous. And, and that's what we're going to deal with today is having the fear of the Lord and being humble before the Lord, because those two things tie in together right? If I'm not humble, I have pride. And if I have a lot of pride, I, I don't fear God. It's, it, it, you know, it's me. And that's what we're going to deal with uh, and, and watch how it goes through everything about the fear of the Lord and, and uh, the pride. He, he's, they're saying, what, what about us? They're going to Jesus to be baptized, but we want them to come to us. And John, that's when John says we can only do what God has given us to do. We are assigned an assignment, and that's what we must follow. And uh, verse 28 says, you yourselves can testify, John's telling his disciples, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. He says the bride, the body of Christ, the bride belongs to the bridegroom who is Christ. The, uh, it says, the friend who attends, uh, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And that's what John's saying. I was here waiting on the bridegroom and he's come. I've heard his voice. He says, I'm happy for this. And he says, that joy is mine because I've heard the, his voice and is now complete. In other words, he's letting them know what I was sent here to do has come to an end. I was coming to proclaim. Not, and then notice what he says. He must become greater, and I must become less. And he's starting to tell his disciples, you're focusing on me, but you need to begin to focus on him. And then, uh, again, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, uh, this is all part of the core text, says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And again, I put this in here because Christ is the bridegroom, and we as believers are known as his bride. We are the bride of Christ. And 
I know sometimes guys don't like to, I'm a bride, you know, but we are his bride. Uh, uh, you could almost think of it as a military, military, if this helps you more, military unit where you are the soldier and he is the officer, okay? As, uh, that we belong to him. And it says uh, uh, that he came to, uh, gave himself up for her. He died on the cross to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and verse 27, he's done all this to present her to himself as a radiant or glorious church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish to be holy and blameless. And then Revelations 19.6, again says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, uh, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And everybody knows throughout the Bible, Jesus is referred to the Lamb of God. For the Lamb has come. And notice what it says here. And his bride, which is his church, the believers, has made herself ready. Notice what he's saying. She, had to, she wasn't ready. She had to make herself ready. He said, made herself ready. He says, fine and linen and bright clean was given to her the wearing. It says, uh, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And uh, I'm not going to go into that today because we, we talked about that last week. So get uh, the copy of the CD from last week or go online and watch that. Uh, on Facebook, you can watch the service there. It says, then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Then lastly, uh, from our core text, the 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 3, it says this, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But notice what he says in verse 3. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may have somehow been led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And that's where we went. It's time for the church. Uh, point one was it's time for the bride to wake up. And where I talked about this time to wake up from your slumber and all these things. So now we're going to go into point uh, number two which is the bride needs to have the fear of the Lord again. The bride needs to have the fear of the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. I want to just begin with a few things here. Is the fear of the Lord does not mean a fear that I don't want to even be in his presence, that I'm scared and, oh no, you know, like a, like a bully's coming to town and you want to hide out. But it deals with, and this is one of the, the things, it deals with a respect of a child and a father, a father figure. And sad to say, there's too many bad father figures, but reality is that Sometimes when we think of God as the father, we relate him to our earthly father because that's the only father relationship we actually really knew. And so a lot of times we don't realize what that relationship with God is truly supposed to be. We've got a distorted view of our relationship with our earthly father. And, I, and listen, I believe 
that all our relationships in life is a reflection of a relationship in heaven, our relationships to others. Because Jesus said, how can you say you love God who you have not seen, but you don't love your brother who you have seen? You see, he's telling that person that thinks they love God, he says, if you think you love me, then how come you don't love your brother? You can't say you love me, because if the love of me was in you, you would love your brother. And Jesus begins showing them that, that you know, uh, and they begin telling them that, you know, my relationships here on earth shows a relationship to my Father in heaven. If I can't, if, if I can't be obedient to authority here on earth, I'm not really going to be obedient to him. Let me tell you why. Because he tells you to be obedient to the authority over you on earth. So when I'm not, I'm actually not obedient to him. So our, our earthly relationships, has a, has a, uh, an, uh, it's a mirror of our relationship with God. We have to realize those things. And let me get on with a few more things here. And uh, the fear of the Lord, that's, that's what we we're kind of talking about here, is why do I serve God? And it, uh, we need to move from some people serve God out of, they feel it's a duty. Like I have to. This is, it, it, it's almost like a job. This is a duty that I do versus I do it out of love for him and I can't help but do it. You understand? A lot, religion is a duty. We do it because it says. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to do it because it says to do it. But the reason I'm doing it, is it out of duty or is it out of love? And I always use this example. As a parent, you would never uh, let your child go starving or not provide for them if you truly love them. You would never let them go without food and things. And you do, it, you're not doing it as a duty. You're doing it out of love. See, there's laws that say you got to treat your child right, that you got to feed your child, you got to do these things. But guess what? If that law wasn't there, the love would still make you do it. You just can't help yourself. You're not going to watch your child suffer and do these things. You see, there's a difference. A duty. The person that does it out of duty is the dad that says, or mom, I don't want to just pick on dads, that, that says, well, the judge didn't say I have to. So I'm not paying. See, that's out of duty. That's not, love is going to say, I don't care if the judge says, I don't have to pay you this. If it's going to benefit my child, I'm doing it because I can't help it. See, that's when Paul was told, he says, don't go about preaching anymore, Peter, and, say, and they say, he said, but I can't help it. It's what I got to do. I'm not doing it out of duty, it's just what's inside of me. And I need to learn to serve God because of a because I love Him so much. I you, not let's put it this way: you need to fall more in love with God. That's what you need. You need to fall more in love with God. I'm not doing your relationship with God. God doesn't want you to be the little soldier. That's yes, sir, because you gave me an order. He wants to He wants to see you serving because you just can't help yourself. Uh, hey, you can clap for that. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap there. 
So the fear of God is, is talking about reverence and awe of who God is. And again, I can tell you the fear of God and the awe of God and the respect of God in his house has disappeared in this world. And I always say, I could tell you how long it takes to eat a McDonald's hamburger when you go through the drive-thru, from McDonald's to this church front yard. Because every week I pick up McDonald's bags in the front yard. They go through the drive-thru and they, and, and listen, I don't believe you should litter anywhere, but I believe when a person is going to go there and throw it in the yard of the house of God, the fear of the Lord is gone. The respect of the house of God is gone. They do not care. That, that's a, and again, talking about pride and humility, you know, those two things, it, it's, I don't care where that's going. I, I mentioned a while back, uh, a couple of months ago, somebody came steal all the host pipes off the church. You're going to tell me that they have the fear of God in their life? That you're going to, and again, not just, oh, that God's going to strike me with lightning if I take the host pipe, but it's bad. And verse 33 says, with great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. So you see that God's grace was upon them, but notice what happens here, and I want you to understand, this is the beginning of God, of the New Testament church, and God's letting them know, I'm not here to play. We're going to get off on the right foot here. And, and notice what he says. It says, uh, verse 34, there were no needy persons among them far from, now notice what it says, from time to time, those, it's not so, it, it's many people had done this, from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money to the, uh, from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was dis distributed to anyone who had need. And every time I read that, you know, I always say, you know, some people say, oh, tithing isn't for the New Testament. Then I say, are you willing to sell your house and bring everything? You want to see what's happening in the New Testament? Sell your house and your land and bring everything and lay it at the apostles' feet. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden the tithe don't look so bad. <laughs> Amen. And then it says, verse 36, it says, Joseph, Joseph a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field that he owned. Now remember, he wasn't the first one, but he says, uh, and brought the money and put it before the apostles' feet. Now what I want you to understand is, uh, again, we're going to jump to chapter 5, verse 1, where Ananias and Sapphira uh, done the same thing, and they lied, and uh, we're going to get into this. But I want you to realize that what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, they seen what was happening. People were bringing this, and they would lay it at their people's feet, and people would thank them and give them recognition with that, and they, they desired to have that. They wanted the accolades. They wanted a, the data boys. They wanted all this, but their heart wasn't to do everything. It's just they wanted like it was. I, I read something this morning that I want to put up. Uh, that's, uh, not put up, but I read to you. Again, what is, what is going to be, uh, it says, we hide weakness because of a desire to impress. And we desire to impress 
because we feel weakness. Let me read that to you again. We hide weakness because of a desire to impress. We want to impress. And what was happening here is that the, the, uh, uh, Barnabas and all, the, he was thank, he was popular, and it was impressive. And Ananias wanted that also. He wanted to impress the people. He wanted to make a name for himself. He wanted to be known as doing this, but he didn't want to do it. He just wanted to build his kingdom. So let me read that one more time. That we hide weakness because of a desire to impress. And we desire to impress because we fear weakness. You see, he wanted to impress everyone, but he was too weak to do what it was called. But in his fear of not impressing people, he decided he'd lie to the Holy Spirit. Now, look what it goes on to say here. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me get a sip of water. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Now, I, I want you to understand. It's important because it's in the Bible. God is showing us something. There was many others that done it, and they didn't really point out the details with that. But God is, is beginning the New Testament church here, and he's, he's, he's making some foundations. He's saying, now uh, this, he says, uh, with, his, with his wife's full knowledge, they kept back part of the money for himself. See, he wanted to impress everybody by what I'm doing. Let me impress you. I'm going to tell you I sold my house and my land and I had to brought all the money because I want to impress you because I want you to be like me. I want to be important. But he kept some of it back. But brought the rest and uh, he kept some for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Now notice what he tells them. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Yes. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? It was yours before. And once you sold it, the money was yours to do whatever you want with it. So why did you come here and say, I've brought it all, but yet kept some? Because you wanted to impress people. Verse 4. Uh, let me go back to verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received? Verse 4. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing. You have not lied to men, but to God. You see, he lost the fear of God. Trying to impress others and build his kingdom, he lost the fear of God. It says, verse 5, when Ananias heard this, 
When it, the second he heard that you, lie, you didn't lie to men but to God, Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. This is in front of the whole church. It says, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. See, God was beginning his New Testament church, and he says, I can't have any of this monkey business here. I'm not going to have a bride who is not fearful of God. He says, we're not, we're not getting off, because if I let this go, that's what everybody's going to do. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to say it. And notice what he goes on to say. Uh, verse 6. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried it out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. She didn't know that he fell down dead when he lied uh, to the Holy Spirit. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? She said, yes, she said, that is the price. But remember earlier it says that she knew, had full knowledge that they were keeping some back. Verse 9, Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the young men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. The young man came in and find, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And verse 11 says, and great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. See, God had to bring the fear of the Lord back in. He was doing mighty miracles and things through the, through the church in Acts. But it, he says, I, you got to have the fear of God back in you. Point three. <clears throat> Excuse me. The bride needs to be humble. The bride needs to be humble. Which ties into, again, like I said, having the fear of the Lord. Notice this. This very familiar passage of Scripture, but I want you to look at it at a from a different point right now. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, God's people, who are called by my name, notice the very first thing he requires. He didn't say pray first. He didn't say seek me first. He said the very first thing you have to do is what? Humble yourself. I want to thank Scott Terrio. Uh, he sent me a, a link to um, a little podcast this week that kind of went on along with the message of last week. And in that podcast, uh, I really enjoyed what the guy said about prayer. He says, most of the time, we don't pray because we think we can control it ourselves. That's why people use prayer as a last resort instead of a first line of defense. Because I think I got this. God, I don't need you. I got this. But the Bible tells us, 
humble ourselves. You, you want me to tell you what humbling means? It means admitting weakness. Remember that's, that saying I read a while ago, the fear of weakness? Wanting to impress, to, to not show a fear of weakness? Prayer is the total opposite. Prayer is admitting weakness and that we are so messed up that God's the only one that could fix our life. God, this situation, uh, I don't know what's going on. And listen, it, again, it's not... Pray in all things pray, not just the big things. Because in those little things, you're trying to be in control. In other words, you're being God in your life in this and trying to handle everything and work out everything. God's saying is, admit your fear and your weakness and your inability, which invites him to come in and move in your life. Don't use him as a last resort. That I've tried everything else and nothing else works. Can you please pray for me? Can you please pray about this situation? God says no. Turn it over first. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Admit you're weak. Admit you need his help. And then pray. And seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Now I want to stop there. I want you to circle the word then. Because he's telling you, if you do all these things first, then this latter part will happen. But if you don't do the first part, forget about the second part. You see, a lot of people just want to hang on to the second half of this verse, and they forget about the first half. But if the first half doesn't take place in your life, the second half is null and void. He says, then, once you do all these things, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Next verse says, verse 15 says, now, once I've done these things, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. When we humble ourselves enough to get God involved and invite God back in every area of our life. Daniel chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 we're going to read here. About being humble. This is King Belshazzar and he's going to, you're going to, Belshazzar and you're going to understand is going to talk about his father and things that happen here. But notice what it says, King uh, Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, again, this ties back into the fear of the Lord and, being, and also about being humble. He gave orders to bring the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. Now, Let's stop there. By doing this, he was shown contempt or uh, no reverence for God, as in these, these uh, things, goblets come from the temple of God and it's for God Almighty and supposed to be used for his purposes. He says, but I don't care about that. Bring it to my kingdom, get it for everybody here, and we're all going to just drink from it. See, he had no fear of God. He's king. He's in charge, large and in charge. And he thought, you know, let, let's go on reading this. I, I want to be able to get through this. 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the kings and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, now notice this, as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And this is what I want to mention again. When God shakes the world, shakes the mountain, it's to let you know he's not the God of gold, bronze, he's the God of gods. As they drank, verse 4, uh, as they drank, uh, they've done this, verse 5, I'm sorry. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster wall, uh, the, on the plaster of the wall, near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched uh, the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. Now, the fear of God was coming, and just, again, they, they seen this hand come out and start writing on the wall, just appeared out of nowhere. And then, what, uh, I didn't put in here, but what happens is he calls for all the, all the people in there, who could translate, who could tell me or interpret what this is, this writing on the wall, who can let me know what this is, but none of his people could. So we're going to jump down into uh, Daniel 5, verse 16. Where, where some of his people said, I, we know Daniel, he could probably do this. He says this, now I, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. This is uh, the king talking to Daniel. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, he says you will be clothed in purple and have, go, a, gold, uh, have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered, and I love Daniel's answer. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Daniel was letting them know, I'm not about your kingdom. You're not going to buy an answer from me. He says, I, I don't want any of this. But he says, nevertheless, I'll tell you what it says. Nevertheless, I will read the writing of for the king and tell him what it means. Verse 18 says, O king, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, notice this, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Can I tell you the hardest thing to handle is success? The hardest thing for people to handle is success greatness. It started out with Satan. He was God's most beautiful creation in charge of worship. And as he would lead the heavenly choirs in worship, he began to desire it for him. He began to think that, hey, it's me. And he was kicked out of heaven. The king was given all kind of power. And all this, and watch what happens. He began to realize, not, uh, forgot that it was God that placed him there, and began to think it was him. He says, greatness and glory and splendor, because of the high position 
he gave him. And I know this is talking about God, that God had placed him there. Because of the high position he gave him, he says, all the peoples and all the nations and, of, and men of every language dreaded and feared him. The king wanted to put to death, uh, wanted to, uh, those who the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed of his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Now, this is his dad he's talking about. He says, he was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived in the wild, uh, he lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with dew from heaven until he acknowledged, notice this, until he humbled, until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign in charge of things over all the nations, all the kingdoms of men, and sets over them anyone he wishes. Now, let's go back up here. God had appointed him, put him in place, his pride came back, and then that's what God said at the end. I put people in their seats. Not you. That when I put someone, and this is what I, uh, fear of America, I don't care who our president is. The Bible says God puts those in place. And you are to pray for them. And I don't care if it's Obama, I don't care if it's Trump. If you're not praying for them, let me stop here. Let me back up and clear myself. Not praying for them to get hit by a bus, okay? If you're not praying for them, you are going against the Word of God in your life. We are to pray for our leaders. We are to pray for them. God establishes all those things. Every, everyone in leadership is a place by God. But when pride comes, this is the downfall of success. He says, um, what verse am I on here? Verse 21. Uh, Until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign of all the kingdom and, uh, kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. Again, what he's telling you there is that the kingdom of men, whoever God decides to put in charge, he says, but you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself. He says, you've seen what happened to you, daddy, but you still don't humble yourself. He says, though you knew all this, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. What is he, when you become, you think it's about you and not about him. When you think about building your kingdom instead of what he wants. Uh, what verse am I on? 23, okay. Instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And let me tell you something, that's a battle you'll never win. You'll find out how small and insignificant and weak you are. When you begin to battle God, you had the, he says, and he brings it back. You had the goblets, he goblets from the temple brought to you. In other words, telling you, how dare you? How dare you use what God has, what is for, intended for God for your glory, for your, because he was trying to show off for everybody. That's all he was trying to do. He was trying to impress everybody. 
You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have drank wine from them. You praise the gods of gold, silver, uh, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote, wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Now, I'll probably mispronounce this, but meaning, meaning, tekel, parson. I don't, that's in the, in the uh, Greek, uh, Hebrew language. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not, but that's okay. I don't even speak English. So um, verse 26 says, this is what it means. The word M-E-N-E meaning means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. God intended you to reign, but because of your pride, he says God has numbered it and brought it to an end. Then it says, T-K-E-L, uh, T-K-L if you want to say, he says, you have been weighed on the scales and found weighting. In other words, in those days, you remember those um, scales that that you weigh with the chain on each side and goes down. That's what he's referring to, that you have, God has put you upon, in other words, he has evaluated you, he has weighed you, but he says, you don't measure up. You didn't do what you were supposed to. He says, he found you warning, you were light. And then Perez uh, says this, your kingdom is divided and given to the uh, Medes and the Persians. In other words, the days have started counting down. God's looked at your life and you did not measure up. You did not do because you raised yourself up when it's supposed to be about him. You lost the fear of the Lord and you, did, you tried to impress man by his things, bringing them in. He says, how dare you? Your days are numbered. You have fallen short. And now your kingdom will be taken from you which God always intended for you, your father, to rule. When God places you, he places you there for a reason. But we have to stay humble. We have to stay humble. And again, the hardest thing for man, angels, anything to do is deal with success. Because the Bible tells us, do everything for the glory of God. And too many times we want the pat on our back for it. Humble yourselves. Have the fear of God. Amen. And then it just goes on to say, verse 29, Then uh, Belshazzar's command, command Daniel uh, was clothed with purple and gold, and Daniel didn't want any of that, and placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, and let me just stop there for a second since I got one minute. Was Daniel seeking promotion? All he sought was to serve God, but yet he got promoted. You see, when you seek the promotion, you're seeking it for yourself in this. But when you're humble and the servant, God promotes. Then it says, that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the, the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. The fear of the Lord and humility 
They go hand in hand. I could have just used that as one point, but I wanted to separate it. We have to stay humble before God in our life. We have to understand to have the fear and respect of God. And, you know, just like Joseph said, how can I do this to God? How can I do this to God? We have to have that same spirit in us. That we're not serving him out of duty. And if you feel you're serving him out of duty, you need to say, I need to fall in love with him a little bit more. Because if, if, if it's my service is out of duty, I w- sometimes I could say, I wish he would change my duty. Fall in love with him where you can't help but do with God, right? Just, just like you, no, no, nobody, had, how many of you got grandkids in here? How many of uh, you feed them snacks without them even asking? Why? Because you can't help it. You love them so much you just can't help it. Even if their mom and all say no, you come into Paul's office. Get here's a little snack. Right? Because your love takes over. You just can't help it. It's not out of duty. Let's stand to our feet. And we'll continue this uh, next week. Father, I just thank you for each and every person here today. And Father, I just pray that by your spirit, Father God, You'd bring those things in the check in our lives, Father God. That we learn to have the fear of the Lord back in our lives, Father God. The respect for the house of God. The respect for the things of God. And Father, I also pray that we humble ourselves before you, Father God. If ever we see pride coming up in our life, Father God, show us and remind us, Father God. Help us to humble ourselves, Father God, lest you do it for us. Father, give us grace and a chance, Father God, in these situations. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you've never accepted the Lord as your personal Savior, I want to give you that opportunity today. If you never asked Jesus to come into your heart, God loved you so much that he gave his only son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. There's nothing we could do to earn it. It's by his grace and mercy. So if you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, I want you just to say this prayer with me. And I just encourage you all just to say this with me out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I admit that I fall short in many areas of my life. But I believe that you love me so much that you sent your Son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe he rose again and is seated at your right hand side. I invite him into my heart to be Lord and Savior of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you, we love you. God bless you, we'll remember Friday night,